You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Has a patient or a patient's family ever turned to you for support in dealing with eczema? Well, today we will turn to some of the nation's leading pediatric dermatology specialists for help in scratching the surface of this physically demanding and psychologically stressful skin condition. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Andrew Krakowski, your host of Scratching the Surface of Eczema. With me today are Drs. Lawrence Eichenfield and Magdalene Dohill. Lawrence Eichenfield is a full professor of pediatrics and medicine dermatology at University of California, San Diego, and chief of pediatric and adolescent dermatology at Rady Children's Hospital, San Diego. He is widely regarded as one of the premier atopic dermatitis specialists in the country. Magdalene Dohill is an assistant clinical professor of pediatrics and medicine dermatology at the University of California, San Diego. She is also the director of the Eczema Center at Rady Children's Hospital, San Diego. Today, we're discussing eczema and more specifically atopic dermatitis as it relates to a pediatric population. Welcome, Dr. Eichenfield and Dr. Dohill. Thank you for joining us today. It's our pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, I think we'll get started. And for the listeners today, simply start by asking, what does this word eczema come from? What does it mean? I'll take that one. Eczema is a term that's used for different things, but generally we think of dermatitis in the skin, inflammation in the skin. And the word eczema itself actually comes from the Greek to boil out, a boil over. And that reflects something we see in the skin in acute eczema when you have swelling in the skin and sometimes even an exudative fluid. And is this a common condition? Well, eczema is incredibly common. Atopic dermatitis is a subtype of eczema. We can discuss that in a bit. And atopic dermatitis is seen in 10 to 15% of children in the first few years of life. If you add other type of eczematous conditions such as contact dermatitis or seborrheic dermatitis, you have a very high prevalence throughout all ages. Throughout all ages. So it's not something that just affects adults? No. Oh, it's actually no surprise that we as pediatric dermatologists are particularly involved with this condition because about 70% of uh, patients are being diagnosed during the first year of life. And most of them, about 90%, will have manifested the condition by five years of age. Interestingly, as you go on through uh, early adolescence, about 90% of patients will have cleared this condition by the age of 20. So it's definitely uh, within our field of interest. And is it something that's common just in San Diego? Very interesting. From a worldwide perspective, we see more eczema than we used to. The prevalence of eczema has increased greatly as compared to several decades ago. The prevalence is much higher in industrialized, westernized countries throughout the world. Remarkably similar prevalence, that 15 to 20 percent of young children having eczema is something you, you see in the UK, you can see it in Singapore, you see it in the United States. In less urbanized societies, actually, interestingly, it's a much lower prevalence. As a physician, what sort of features define this condition? What would I be looking for? Just like with any other condition, you want to check on the pillars of this disease. You're going to take a very detailed history, a physical exam, and of course you want to touch upon other aspects such as psychosocial aspects. When you look at the history, most frequently what we see is that it's defined by a chronic relapsing cause. And as we speak to parents, we uh, most commonly also find that there is a positive family history of either atopic dermatitis or other allergies such as asthma or allergic rhinitis in the family. So atopic dermatitis or eczema in general tends to run in families? Yes, that is a very common finding and is a clue to the diagnosis. 
Yeah. Now, there are some hallmark features clinically in atopic dermatitis that differ a little bit by age. When you have infants, they'll generally present with inflamed skin. They'll have marked pruritus or itchiness. You can have erythema and swelling. And generally, it'll be on the face and on the extensor surfaces. But usually, even by the first year of life, you start to get the one of the hallmarks of atopic dermatitis, which is flexural dermatitis, where you have dermatitis in the arm folds and in the popliteal fossa. And when you look at the uh, physical exam, of course, you see the typical features of dermatitis in general. You see some erythema, you see some excoriations, but uh, maybe some lichenification of the skin where the skin has been severely scratched. But most what really points to the diagnosis is this hard-to-control itch that both the uh, children complain about, that parents note, and it is most noticeable as the child just gets undressed for the physical exam, suddenly previously quite relaxed and happy child will probably start sitting on the examination table and just incessantly itch itself. Hence the phrase, the itch that rashes. Yes, it's a very interesting cycle in, uh, in atopic dermatitis. We know that even air on the skin in moderately affected patients with eczema is enough of a stimulus that they feel itchy. And there have actually been some interesting studies looking at what the qualities are that create this pruritic sensation. And there has to be an impact in terms of the nervous system being sort of revved up to a degree to sense certain stimuli as something that gets gets interpreted as itching and, and ends up with that scratch response. And I think that leads us uh, so much into why this condition has such a major impact on the family as a whole. Because if you have a child that is incessantly scratching and itchy, you find there's sleep disturbance, you find they can't concentrate on any task at hand. And parents are just at a loss of how to control this particular symptom. Are there other clinical signs that maybe not define the disease, but maybe that sometimes you'll see that run along with it? When we initially determine if the diagnosis of atopic dermatitis truly fits, we have uh, certain features that we check upon, and these can be divided into essential features, important and associated features. And really, the essential features include this chronic relapsing course that we touched upon, the typical morphology that changes depending on age and the itch. But other important features can then be this early onset of the condition, the dry skin that often is experienced, and potentially subtle signs in the skin, like some darkening around the eyes, which the typical allergic shyness, some hyperlinearity of the hands. Some people have bumpy skin on their outer upper arms or their thighs that we call keratosis pilaris. And these are subtle features that point towards the diagnosis. You're listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Andrew Krakowski, and I'm speaking today with Drs. Magdalene Dohill and Lawrence Eichenfield and we're discussing atopic dermatitis in children. So, Dr. Eichenfield, how important are lab studies in regards to diagnosing atopic dermatitis? The good news is that they're generally not necessary in garden-variety atopic dermatitis. It's a diagnosis we can make clinically, but there is a differential diagnosis to atopic dermatitis, and not everything that looks like eczema is atopic dermatitis. So, for instance, especially in infants, you can have seborrheic dermatitis, which can be cradle cap with a more waxy scale. That can be present on the body as well and has a different prognosis and not the associated features of atopy, higher risk of allergy, as that you get with atopic dermatitis. Psoriasis 
is another red scaly rash, but it's one that looks different. It has a different prognosis. Psoriasis is, while it can itch somewhat, does not itch very much compared to atopic dermatitis. It too runs in families. Yes, it does. Yeah, and I think that's part of the frustration that parents also experience. In most of our conditions, you have a lab test you can offer them and you can really support the diagnosis. In atopic dermatitis, unfortunately, you may find some elevated IgE, you may find some positive rust tests, but it doesn't correlate to the clinical picture and it doesn't really help that significantly in the management of the patient. There are some other things that are differential as well, certainly irritant dermatitis, uh, diaper, most diaper dermatitis can be an irritant dermatitis, which just irritates the skin and you get secondary rashes. Allergic contact dermatitis, where you're truly allergic to chemicals or metals, for instance, like nickel dermatitis that makes it to the skin. And then there's the rare stuff. And in children, the rare things that mimic atopic dermatitis include hyper-IgE syndrome, a variety of metabolic and nutritional deficiencies, such as zinc deficiency, acrodermatitis, cystic fibrosis, and the little lists we have for those unusual patients whose features are a little bit different with Scott-Aldrich syndrome with low platelet counts, which should alert the physician that this isn't regular atopic dermatitis. And another red flag that I've heard, tell me if I'm wrong, is if you're seeing a lot of rash in the diaper area, maybe not atopic dermatitis. Is that a good rule to live by? It's quite a good rule to go by because what you'll find quite frequently is that a child with atopic dermatitis has a rash all over and the diaper area is spared just because the diaper area is so so well moisturized and the humidity is is certainly helps to keep the skin well conditioned. Dr. Eichenfeld, you alluded to something called atopy before. Could you expound on that slightly? Well, remember, we, we call it atopic dermatitis. Uh, atopy actually is a term that means comes from stranger, but it really relates to the, the relationship of dermatitis to having a hypersensitivity or allergic component to the disease. We know that patients with atopic dermatitis have family histories of atopic conditions, which include other than atopic dermatitis, also asthma, hay fever, allergic rhinoconjunctivitis, and to a degree, food allergy as well. There are some interesting theories about the timing of these allergic relationships. Certainly, the increased amount of atopic dermatitis we see has paralleled, for instance, the rise in asthma and, to a degree, food allergy. And there's this concept called the atopic march, which is the concept that certain types of atopic phenomena present first and others come later. So for instance, in the first few years of life, you get atopic dermatitis is the most common. It's less common to have asthma. And there's a question of whether there's a window of influence of atopic conditions where eczema leaving openings in the skin may allow antigens to get in the skin, which may stimulate the development of allergenicity in relationship to either foods, inhalants, potentially the development of hay fever and asthma down the line. And in fact, Dr. Dohill, some of your own research and the research of your husband, I think, suggests maybe we need to think about thinking outside the atopic march as it's traditionally been known, sort of box and, and maybe adding a couple of new things to that. Is that possible? Well, as we start to learn more and more about atopy and atopic dermatitis in general, we seem to be getting a better picture of all the little puzzle pieces that come together. And what has been noted is that there is another condition that has shown a parallel rise in incidence. It is termed eosinophilic esophagitis, and it is increasingly diagnosed in children. It is an inflammatory response with eosinophils that presents in the esophagus and is triggered by food, by food allergens. 
and we have not been able as yet to make the definitive link, but there are a lot of research pieces that hint towards a potential new player in this atopic field. So with all these systems, different systems affected, is it maybe better to think of atopic dermatitis more as a syndrome than as a standalone, quote-unquote, disease or condition? I don't know if I'd call it a syndrome. And in fact, one of the questions we're really facing is whether atopic dermatitis is always the same disease. We know that there are other diseases, like some that I mentioned already, Wiscott-Aldrich's disease. There's also something called Netherton syndrome that have eczema-like conditions and yet have specific mutations associated with them as well as other specific syndromic features. On the other hand, most atopic dermatitis will look like other atopic dermatitis. And I'm not sure we're at that point right now. There's some interesting research looking at mutations that may correlate with risk for atopic dermatitis. I do think that there's systemic disease elements of atopic dermatitis and that it's not just a skin disease, but definitely has a dysregulated immune system as well as some dysfunction of the skin. Well, I want to thank Dr. Lawrence Eichenfield and Dr. Magdalene Dohill from the University of California, San Diego, and Rady Children's Hospital, San Diego. I'm Dr. Andrew Krakowski, your host of Scratching the Surface of Eczema. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.